Chris Khachadur, Haituk Talks' resident historian, and I, your host, return to you today to focus on the history of another region of historical Armenia, Nakhichevan. When I think about the fate of Artsakh, I think about Nakhichevan. Like Artsakh, Nakhichevan is a region adjacent to the Republic of Armenia today. It's that exclave southwest of Armenia that remains within the control of Azerbaijan, where, as a result of Azerbaijani control, no longer contains any Armenians with no remnants of our history in sight, as all our heritage was completely wiped out. If Artsakh did not retain its autonomy over the centuries, if it didn't fight for its self-determination and was overwhelmed and annexed into Azerbaijan earlier on, it would at the very least have the same destiny as Nakhichevan today, which is evidently what Azerbaijan hopes to accomplish in Artsakh, and probably all of Armenia as a whole. And even though, as Armenians, we cannot go to Nakhichevan today, see Armenians there, or our history any longer, this place, like all the other pieces of our homeland which we have lost through genocide, still lives in our hearts and minds. This is the story of Nakhichevan. A couple of Armenians talking in the world. Welcome back, Chris. We're doing it again. Welcome back to the show for another history episode. You happy to be back? Excited. Hell yeah. I know we're both tired and everything, but I genuinely enjoy love. I enjoy doing these episodes with you. Um, maybe one day we'll do our own little history show. But today, uh, as I'm, you know, we mentioned in the intro, uh, we're covering another region, uh, Nakhichevan, one of those core uh, regions of historical Armenia which is, you know, right next to us today, uh, to the Republic of Armenia. Um, so I like to start these history episodes when we're talking about these regions with the etymology of the region, because I really think language and names have a lot of historical truth to them, especially when a lot of ancient history evades us and we don't have it. So um, tell us, what does Nakhichevan the name mean? So in Armenian, Nakhichevan, um you know, we like to think of it as being the place of the first descent. So Nach, meaning pre, prior, you know, yeah. it's that prefix. Um, Ichevan, it's each is to go down. Ichnel. Yeah, yeah. Ichnel. Yeah. Um, and Avan or Van is usually a place name suffix. Yeah, you see that in a lot of Armenian places, uh, Sevan and Yerevan. Uh, Stepan Avan. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a reoccurrence. Yeah. Um, so that's what Nakhichevan has been historically tied to. I think it's funny when we have to debate our history with whoever, and you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the name of the place itself, you know, the only way you can explain the root of the name is an Armenian name, you know? I'm curious to what they even say. Well, in Azerbaijani, it's called Nakhichevan. What is that? What, you, so it's like... N-A-K-N-A-X, actually. Yeah. Nakhchevan. Instead of Nakhichevan or Nakhichevan. But I wonder what that, did, you know, what it, it means. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I know in Turkey they call it Nakhchevan. It was even more butchered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that alone, I mean, that also ties it to the maybe like the biblical history there, right? Noah's first descent from Ararat, which is not very nearby. It's like at the top corner of what we would consider Nakhichevan today. Um, and I'm curious if... Uh, but we know that it was called Nakhichevan because uh, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus in the first century, uh, in a Greek 
with in Greek, he basically said the same thing, place of descent. So we know for a long time uh, that Nakhichevan has been the name of this region. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of the first century and the ancient Armenian kingdoms, you know, Armenian kingdoms really started around 800 BC, let's say with Urartu. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what we know about this region during this period of time? So Nakhichevan became part of the kingdom of Urartu and later on became part of the Yerevantuni realm and became part of the Arshaguni realm, and the, sorry, before that, Artashesians as well. Mm-hmm. It's been a core province, core district. It's right in the middle, really. Yeah. I mean, historically, it was actually part of the Vaspuragan province. So Nakhichevan is the historic Gavar or Kavar district, kind of corresponds to the core of today's Nakhichevan, so the northern edge of today's Nakhichevan and the southern edge were different cantons or districts, different Gavars. Right. Gokhtan? Gokhtan would correspond to the southeast corner, so today's Julfa and Ordubad, yeah. or Julfa and Orduvar regions. Um, and the northernmost area, which used to be called Norashan, now is called Sharur. Mm-hmm. It's a separate like plain, while the Nakhichevan plain is like this core of the region. Close to Devin, that northern region? Yeah. Would that be incorporated to what we, like that province Devin would be? It would be Ararat. Ararat. Yeah. Yeah, so tell us, like, geographically, I mean, you know, I'm sure people ha- will notice what we're talking about, but tell us where this is and stuff on the map. Today or historically? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Today it includes all these three spots you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It corresponds to three historic districts within the Armenian realm. Today it's an autonomous republic within Azerbaijan, but it's an exclave, so it's fully detached from Azerbaijan. Yeah. I, I only wanted to mention that because I'll never forget uh, teaching my coworkers back in college um, about Armenia and my boss being like, what's this over here? Like, what is this? Uh, ra- like, is this what part is that? Of, you know, is that part of Azerbaijan? Is that part of Armenia? Is that a mistake on the map? And I'm like, nope, that's Stalin. Some people think it's its own country. Some people actually don't even include it on the map. They just draw Armenia to include it. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. I actually have a map in my room that uh, considers Nakhichevan part of Armenia. It's very yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, so. if you look at it, the way the Soviets drew their borders, they would draw along mountain ridges mm-hmm. and river basins. Two of the major rivers into Nakhichevan flow from Armenia's mountains from Sunik and Vyotstor. Biggest being Arpa. So it's a core part of the Armenian homeland, and we'll get more into why it's an ox, uh, uh, exclave today. Um, but, you know, the Armenian kingdoms up until, you know, us converting to Christianity, uh, you know, this was an integral part of their kingdom. Um, uh, Alexander the Great's generals went through their Persian, the Achaemenids, you know, history and history. But unfortunately, we don't know too much um, uh, from that period. Uh, but then we become Christian, right? Mm-hmm. 301 AD. Um, uh, this is like, I would, you know, kind of categorize this as the next era of Armenian history, right? Post-Christianization. Um, uh, how would you describe this time period? Well, just like the rest of the Armenian highlands, you saw church building. We don't really have much left there, as that will be discussed later on. Mm-hmm. But you know, we definitely had churches appear there in the early Christian period. Um, and already by the 5th century, when Mesrop Mashtots decided to create the alphabet, he was a native of Turuberon province, near modern-day Mush, in what is today Turkey. Um, but he is said to have created the alphabet in Gokhtan, which, which is, is today part of Nakhichevan. southeastern corner of Nakhichevan today. Interesting. 
You know, I'm pretty sure the Battle of Avarar too, that famous battle that we celebrate Vartanans, was not mm -hmm. far from the Akhichevan either. It's probably just a little south of that. Yeah, Al so it's today in northwestern Iran, almost a northwestern most corner, right um, near Marle Maku, which historically used to be called Ardaz in Armenian. I thought it might the, be Khoi, maybe that region. It's right. even more north of Khoi. Like Maku is on the border with Turkey. So it's literally on the other side of the river. Battle yeah. of Avarar was the, happening. The river, the Dagmud, as they say, Dagmud River, where the Avarar field is, it flows into the Arax right across from Julfa. Whenever <laughs> I would picture that battle, the Battle of Avarar, uh, when I was a kid in mm -hmm. school and we would learn about it, I always would try to paint a picture of what this all looked like, and you know that's what I want the listeners to maybe think about is like the Battle of Avarad was happening in a place like Nachichevan, yeah. right there. So the way we've done it in these past episodes, but usually if you're on Wikipedia or reading about Armenian history, they tend to break it down like this, where uh, when you're going through the timeline of Armenian history, they're breaking it down by who invaded Armenia at that time. The Greeks, the Romans, the, the Iranians the first time, the Iranians the third time, the Iranians the fifth time. So you'll the, the way we'll be going through the timeline again in this episode is kind of breaking it down like that. Um, uh, up to this point, the Armenian had, Armenians and Nakhichevan, you know, had passed through Greek, Roman, and Persian hands. Um, however, we have a new invader for the first time in the 6th century. Tell us about our new friends. Oh, yeah. So around 639 to 640, you know, the, the days back then, they kind of meshed in together. Middle of the 600s. You saw the first incursions of the Muslims or the Arabs. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was synonymous. Arab invasions. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they came in and swept through Nakhichevan en route to Davin, which was the capital of the Kingdom of Armenia when it became the Persian Mars of Armenia, mm -hmm. also the capital. And the Arabs sacked Davin, which is right adjacent to Nakhichevan, just north of it. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I mean, they were not kind in the region. I mean, they I'm sure whoever it was, they were brutal to the Armenian nobles and this, but, I mean, didn't the Arabs wipe out, like, the entire noble class? Yeah, so the Arabs had this weird power dynamic that was similar to how the Persians were monitoring Armenia. So the Persians would have a marzban, or a governor, mm -hmm who was usually Armenian, but anytime Armenians had a inkling of revolt, automatically removed and a Persian Zoroastrian was in place. Under the Arabs, there was a Muslim Arab Amir who ruled alongside what was an Armenian Ishkhanat Ishkhan, the Prince of Princes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was this weird power dynamic where the Amir was basically the nominal head while the Ishkhanat Ishkhan or Prince of Princes would collect taxes, would administer. He also had a standing army. Mm. Yeah, who had to fight for the caliph in times of war. Right, they're a vassal state, essentially, the Armenians. Yes, and the emir who was there was kind of like a over, like a vizier, if you will. Like, yeah. He was overlooking the situation. Mm -hmm. um, and they had troops garrisoned in most major cities, including Nakhichevan and Davin and whatnot. Um, but yeah, in 705, the emir basically ordered... 800 Armenian nobles in Nakhichevan to be locked up in churches and burned alive. I mean, were they told, like, get to the church, we're going to burn you? Or, like, I feel like they tricked them or something. I mean, we no, don't know exact okay. details, yeah, but yeah. they were most likely invited. We're going to have a big meeting yeah. at the church, come through. Um, and they didn't end well. Mm -hmm. And you saw in 750, I believe, or 751, at the Battle of Bakrevand, the remaining Armenian noble houses rose up in a huge revolt 
And that's when you saw the defeat of the historic ho- like houses that were wiped out, like the Mamigonians and mm-hmm. the Amadunis, for example, left the region at the time and moved to Hamshan. Mm-hmm. A lot um, of Armenians went up to Georgia, right, too, from this period? Uh, not, not just yet. But they will, yeah. yeah. I, I know what you mean, though. A lot of movement, though. More, if anything, westward, towards Byzantine realm. That makes sense. So, central Anatolia. I mean, we see this uh, theme a lot in Armenian history, and we wonder why Armenia got, let's say, uh, weaker and weaker over the centuries, is because the nobility class, the the, feud, the feudal system, kept uh, getting wiped out or, uh, yeah. you know, exiled and, uh, you know, weakened on purpose from the conquerors. But what that did is it, you know, left that gap or, uh, you know, that void yeah. that... Well, these conquerors also, you really use this divide-and-conquer mentality among these noble houses. So they would constantly support one against the other and kind of dismantle Armenia's, you know, power. Um, the Persians did it, the Arabs did it. So after, again, yeah. after the Mamigonians and Amadunis and other historic families were wiped out, they support the Bakradunis and Arzunis, yeah. who in time grew powerful enough and in the ninth century then they get wiped out. Then they get wiped out yeah, later on. But, but yeah. until then, they actually did establish a new kingdom or two rival kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Um do we have any standing monuments from this period or before, like Nakhichevan? I mean, uh, we'll get into again later on how everything's been wiped out completely, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. Um, you know, fortresses, churches, anything. So, um, religious monuments, not many for obvious reasons. We'll get more into that. There are bit, many, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are many fortresses that the Azerbaijani government has refurbished, quote-unquote. One of them is Yerenjak. It's in the mountains just east of Nakhichevan city. Um, so, so like those mountain ranges, like the thing that splits Nakhichevan and the Republic of Armenia today, that, that mountain range. Yeah, it splits. It's like between Nakhichevan and Sunik. Yeah. So the, it's called the Zangezur range. Mm-hmm. Um, so in these mountains, there is Yerenjak, which the Azerbaijanis have renamed Alinja. Um, and there is a fortress and this fortress is really famous because um, King Simbat Bakraduni the first son of Ashot the first, the founder of the Bakraduni dynasty, he fought this emir, a Muslim Arab emir who was in northern Iran back then, the historic Azerbaijan mm-hmm. or Atar Batagan. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the Sajid emirate. They were at war with the Bakradunis over Nakhichevan and Armenia back and forth, and King Simbat was actually killed at Yerenjak. Oh, so it's a really important place in that sense and if anything we the story gets better because um Sambat's son Ashot II became Ashot Yergat and defeated the Sajids mm-hmm. got revenge yeah I wonder if that's the same Sambat that created Sambat Abert which isn't that far from there it's in Armenia today Sambat Abert is not far at all it's in Vajotstod right next door but it was built by the princes of Sunik oh the, so, uh, another Sambat yeah Sambat Sunni and, oh. the, yeah, the Sunnitsis of the kingdom of Sunik, which was a vassal of the Bakadunis of Ani, actually exercised control over Nakhichivan at times, while at other times it was ruled by the Arzunis of Vaspuragan in Van, and at times the Bakadunis of Ani took it. So it was moving, three Armenians taking it. <laughs> it was moving back and forth because, you know, whoever was the conqueror at the time would punish this uh, Armenian exactly. lord and say, you're dead exactly. now, we're going to give it to your cousins on the other side of the mountains. Yeah. And then it just went back and forth like that. Um, 
Okay, and then I mean, when did the Arabs leave? Let's say who was who was the next conqueror? Who are our new so next friends? To it's the interesting with the Arabs whether they left or not because they were never really there. They didn't right. settle the area too much at this time. Nakhichevan is still largely Armenian. Um, so I mean, you have this slow Muslim presence growing over time, and then you have the Turks, right. obviously, the um, Seljuk Empire. Yeah. Um, so when we think of the Seljuk Turks, we think of the Battle of Manzigert or Manzagert in Armenian, Manazgirt. Mm-hmm. That's 1071. But what we know is that in 1016 and 1018, the first bands of these Seljuk Turkic tribes entered into Vosporagon. Mm-hmm. So northwestern Iran into... South of Nakhichevan. Right right there. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Khoi. They attacked Khoi and took it from the Vosporagon Arjunis. Mm-hmm. And it was a big shockwave in the region. Um, The Turks, again, didn't stay in the area for too long. Um, And eventually the area was given to the Shadadids or Shadadi. They were a, again, Arabized Kurdish family who ruled different parts of modern-day Armenia for a brief period of time. Really interesting but vague. We don't really know much about them. They were basically Arab Muslims with some Kurdish origins. The way I think about it, because this will happen a lot in uh, this region, is basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but these families have, let's say, their tribe. So like a band of like a, maybe a thousand or two thousand warriors. And, you know, then they control that government. You know, it's not yeah. that the entire country is the same as this band or mm-hmm. this tribe that controls the state. But, you know, whether it's the Kurds or the Arabs or the Turks, it tends to be like, you know, uh, a war, uh, warlike tribal uh, group that yeah. just kind of, you know, runs the, the state at that point. So it's something like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the Sajids who were there from 895 to 909 and then the Solarids from 942 to 971, they were technically, you know, Azaris, so Iranian people who were Arabized. Mm-hmm. And then you had the Shadadids, again, Arabized Kurds, and then you had the Seljuk Turks who came, again, didn't save it too long, and eventually gave the region to some Kipchak Turkic family, and it's weird because the Seljuks are Oghuz Turks, the Kipchaks are modern-day Kazakhs. <laughs> yeah, well, so Kipchaks, aren't there some in, uh, they're a Turkic tribe, they're not the same as the Azeris and Turks today, but they're, what, aren't they in like the north of the Caucasus now? So, yeah, I mean, the Kipchaks today would be, the largest ones are the Kazakhs, but also the Kyrgyz. But in the Caucasus, the Kumiks, the Karachai, the Balkars, they're North Caucasian right. Turkic peoples. So again, like, you know, this war band, like let's say a small group just controlled the state, doesn't necessarily mean that, yeah. that everyone in that they region was kept Czech. It was just the ruler was kept Czech. And for a very brief period from like 1136 to 1187, and by that time, the Georgian armies led by the Zakarians came in and, you know, pushed out these... Right foreign invaders. That was the time of the Georgians' biggest expansion, right? The Georgian kingdom. Yeah, and that's a whole different story because it, they're Bakradunis, Bakradioni, <laughs> and so... Yeah, save Georgian history <laughs> yeah, for another time. That's a whole other ball game. Yeah. Um, but so the Georgians take over. I'm sure the Armenians had it a little better, but you know what happens is every time the Georgians or the Armenians make any headway in the region, we end up getting two times the punishment for having one at one point. Like when the Georgians came and, let's say, rescued the Christians of the region, when the Muslims came back, they came back two times as ferocious. Yeah, I mean, so while the Georgian-Armenian forces were able to save Nakhichevan in 1187, literally less than 40 years later, in 1236, the Mongols came in. The Mongols come. (laughs) Probably the most devastating 
event yet in right. the region. Um, and the Mongols quickly fell apart and the region became part of the Ilkhanate, which was one of the three successor states of the Mongol Empire. A Mongolian Empire Kingdom, but I'm pretty sure... Very Persianate. I remember thinking, though, or seeing that during that Caucasian campaign when the Mongols did come to the Caucasus, mm. Nakhichevan was one of those regions that were like totally burned to the ground and destroyed. Yeah. yeah, because it was home to urban settlements and it was en route to Davin and other major cities. Yunani. A wealthy region. Yeah, it was a gateway between the Iranian realm and the Armenian realm. We're going to see this theme of Nakhichevansi's being the like brunt of the wars brunt of the wars but famous merchants like uh maybe it is geographical maybe it has to do with uh certain be, be being clo- uh, on the way to iran being close to the capital cities as you're saying yeah. but we'll see as we speak a little bit more that the armenians of this region were relatively like let's not well wealthier off. but yeah merchants and tradesmen and uh and highly this is why they wanted this region these people you know whatever the yeah. conqueror was is because it was a wealthy region also you have an insane you had i should say an insanely large concentration of monuments religious monuments in this tiny region yeah. um that wasn't too heavily populated just 100 years ago and now is you know really populated for other reasons do we have so the mongols come they stay they rule it again they don't really populate it like we were yeah. matching with other groups um uh but uh, I remember seeing or reading that there might be some Mongolian tombs or like Mon- so there are Turkic the those that one Kipchak tribe actually left a monument um, for one of their mothers I believe in Nakhichevan and still standing today still standing obviously renovated mm-hmm. there's also a Mongol era um, tomb in Nakhichevan um, I mean and yeah I mean they look very Persian. If you look mm-hmm. at them, Persian or Iranian, whatever you want to call it, the blue tiles, it's a very, you know, reminiscent of the Iranian cities. Architecture and style, yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll see that a lot with the Central Asian groups, even the Arabs who came. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, since they were nomadic pastoral communities yeah. and cultures and, you know, societies, they tended, it, when they did come to settled areas, you know, they were hiring. Adopting the they were adopting, traditions. they were synchronizing, and they were hiring locals to make things. Yeah, I mean, there's many monuments in the area that clearly have Armenian influences um, that were built by the Turkic and Mongol tribes. Commissioned or whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, um, so how does the Mongol era end? So the Mongol era doesn't really end. It transitions into something worse. <laughs> Imagine get, that it, it gets get it gets worse, folks. Uh, yeah. um, the Ilkhanate collapsed, and it broke up into a bunch of different smaller Mongol Khanates. I'm not even sure what to call them. One of them that ruled in a region was called the Chobanids, and then there were also the Jaladids, different smaller groups. And Isn't Choban mean uh, sh- shepherd? <laughs> Choban, yeah, shepherd in Turkic. Yeah. Um, Chobanids, and eventually. The Turkic tribes who came with, who came with the Seljuks, but also fled to the region from the Mongol invasion of Central Asia, like the Ottomans, um, they settled in a region and wreaked, like they wrecked havoc. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the two largest ones were the Akkoinlu and Karakoinlu, so they're black sheep and white sheep. These were two Turkic empires, tribal that, confederations. How long did they last? So they were there from the mid. 13th century to late 15th century. So about 150 years or so. But yeah. I mean, I always give myself, like as someone who likes history, I try to give myself uh, like 
context or like a um per, I mean, Soviet Union was 70, 80 years, right? I mean, imagine the influence it had on Armenians today and our society and our history and everything. I mean, uh, in the timeline of history, 150 years doesn't seem long, but at the end of the day, it's still you know, almost two times it's what the not, Soviet Union yeah. was, you know? I mean, a fun fact, what we call manta is actually a food brought by the Mongols. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's a dumpling, right? Yeah. And you see this variation of dumpling everywhere we go. The Mongols um, brought it from Central Asia. That's why Central Asian Turks also eat it. You know, a lot of our moms are going to hate that you're saying that Manta is Turkic or Mongol. It's not Turkic, it's Mongol. It's Mongol, <laughs> but... They also I, eat it in Korea. It's the only thing that I'll <laughs> give Central Asia in, in terms of cultural uh, that, you know, we got the dumplings from the Mongols. I'll, yeah, I'll give them that. That's, that's a fact. You can't deny that. I think we made it a bit better, maybe. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yogurt. There, there's also a joke that like the the monte gets bigger as you go more uh, east, east or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it does. The more west you go towards Istanbul, the smaller the, the tiny the, the tiny the monte gets, yeah. and then the bigger it gets. So, anyways, um, uh, okay. So we were talking about our our, uh, the our other friends, right? So the Karakoyunlu, the Akoyunlu. These are Turkic-speaking uh, tribal confederation empires. Lasted about 100, 150 years. Yeah. But uh, I feel like the Iranians are coming back. So these confederations basically murdered each other. The Karakoyunlu were Sunni and the Akkoyunlu were Shi, if I'm not mistaken. The Karakoyunlu eventually dissolved into smaller fragments and became the Anatolian Beyliks, which were later swallowed by the Ottoman Empire. While the Akkoyunlu intermarried with this religious sect called the Safaviyya mm-hmm. in became... northwestern Iran. And the Safaviyya, as we know, became the Safavids. And in 1501, they took over Iran and spread, you know, into Mesopotamia, into Eastern Armenia, into Central Asia. Yeah, they and created the new big Iranian empire the, at the time. Iran was reborn, despite being ruled by this man, Ismail Shah, who was of mixed Greek, Turkish, um, Armenian, Georgian. His, mo- his mother was a Greco-Greek princess of the Empire of Trebizond. Yeah, so uh, they they all. I mean, even all the Ottoman sultans had Armenian moms and stuff. I Armenian, mean, it, Circassian, the, Georgian. I mean, the uh, especially. I mean, they had multiple concubines, uh, concubines and wives. And I yeah. mean, uh, when we're talking about blood quantum here, no one in this region is pure. Uh, yeah, pure. So <laughs> I mean, genetically, Armenians are rather distinct. But again, what does that mean? I and mean, how does that translate well, to quote unquote purity? But especially for these noble families, where royal yeah. marriages oh, were. Yeah part of the politics and like how how it all worked so yeah. um yeah so tell us a little bit about this next iranian empire let's say i know i keep calling it iranian but it was it's I mean, the, iranian the, the language is farsi you know the, well they were the also called themselves the shah of iran they were addressed as that by foreign dignitaries as well including the ottomans mm-hmm. uh, um so the safavids they are the ones who you know enforced shia islam which really changes the game in terms of how these empires interacted um, so their biggest rival in the region, obviously, were the Ottomans, Sunni, Turkic Muslims. And they were not too friendly to the Shia Muslims. And there were even Turkic Shia Muslim tribes left over of the Akkoyunlu, like such as the Kuzulbash, in what is now eastern Turkey. Mm-hmm. And the o- Ottomans would put them down, and the Safids would come and intervene, and it led to many, many wars. The first war already broke out in 1514, the Battle of Chaldiran. Chaldiran is just south of Nakhichevan. It's on today's Iran-Turkey borders, so just east of Van. Weren't there like 
I remember the statistic where Yerevan passed over 17 times <laughs> or something in between these, the next three, 400 years, we have like 10, 20 wars. Yeah, I between 1514 and I want to say 1826, if I'm not mistaken, Iran and Turkey or the Ottoman Empire and the Safavids and their successors. Yeah. And I'm sure Nakhichevan was in the middle of this. Yeah, because if you look at the Ottoman Safavid or Ottoman Iranian border, it would go through modern-day Iraq, Mesopotamia, and up into eastern Turkey, historic Armenia. Basically, where we have this eastern-western Armenian divide is where yes. that was kind of be, um, kind of happening. Yeah. Yeah. So the Iranians usually controlled eastern Armenia, but again, Nakhichevan is kind of like right in the middle. So it and again, Yerevan, they're both along the Aralx River. Yeah. They really were hit hard. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that this Iranian period, the Safavid period, is the most um, consequential, at least affecting uh, the Armenian history and population of that region up until today. Yeah, yeah, long-term effect. Can you tell us why? Ah, yeah. So you have this insane, insane tragedy in 1604 in the autumn, in October, November. So Shah Abbas is at war with the Ottoman Turks from, I believe, 1601 till 1617. It's like a 15-year-long war. In the fall of 1604... He orders basically the entire uprooting of some say between 200,000 to 500,000 Armenians from the northeastern areas of historic Armenia, corresponding to much of modern day Armenia, except, you know, Tavush in the northeast and parts of Lodi and Sunik and obviously Artsakh. It's like the Ararat Plain and Nakhichevan along the Araks River. So not only the yeah, not only that though. I mean, they went up to the Harazdan Basin, the Ahurian Basin. So modern day Sevan Gehargunik emptied up until Javakh. So they emptied Gars, Gyumri, Gars, Gyumri. Um, Why did they do this? Was it like strategic? Uh, strategic. They also emptied out even more into like the upper Araks Valley. So Alashkert and Beyazit or Darwin historically, I, they really, a huge area was wiped clean of Armenians. I remember thinking it was like they had a strategic reason for it. Like there's going to be a lot of wars here and we want to like move around this population so for some I reason. I feel like we were told, because Armenians and Persians are good friends, we were told they did it to save us from the Ottoman Turks and, you know, it was for our own good they removed us, which is what the Turks say now for the genocide. It could be a step <laughs> away from genocide, this whole depopulation well, yeah, of Armenians. So of the roughly 500,000, only about 200,000 survived the trek. For one, they had to cross the Arax River into modern-day Iran. Second, it was in October, November. And if you've been to Armenia in those months, you know it's not really a friendly yeah. you know, environment to walk on foot thousands of miles in. Um, many people died on the trail of tears of Armenian history, I guess. Yeah, uh, it was really, really tough. Um, and it really emptied the core of historic Armenia. And this is why, like, in the 18th and 19th century, when we're looking at numbers of, like, Armenian population versus Muslim populations, like, would you say this, this is why we don't have yeah. a, a majority so of times? if you look at Armenia, so basically what happened was after the Autumn Armenians were removed from the region, the Safavids encouraged loyal Shia Muslim, largely Turkic, but also some Kurdish tribes to move into this region. So the Kangerli tribe, which was a Turkic tribe, moved into Nakhichevan. And these tribes eventually became are, more and more populated. Are these the predecessors of today's Azerbaijanis, we could say? Yes. So this is when you see the establishment of this Turkic group that becomes, 
I don't want to say nativized, but almost views this land as theirs because they came to it when it was emptied of Armenians. Yeah. So it's interesting because you see that there are churches and stuff. Some things are still being built in this time. So Armenians weren't completely gone. Um, the majority. Majority were yeah. absolutely gone. Where were they? Where they go? So they were taken to central Iran. So everyone thinks, oh, Juga, Nor Julfa, and Isfahan. That's like one part of the story. So Nor Juga or New Julfa in modern day Isfahan, the historic capital of Iran, was founded by 10,000 migrants from the historic Julfa or Juga in today's Nakhichevan. Only 10,000 of the hundreds of thousands yeah. that went to Iran. The others were scattered in villages like Peria, Burvari, Gharagan. So this belt in central Iran, today's Isfahan, Hamadan, Arak and Shiraz provinces and Markazi. Interesting. I know so, there's. I know there are like these are 100% Armenian villages across Iran. Very, not very as many. Few not as many today, but yeah. yeah, I know that there are these. Kind of like how there's. An there's Anjad, like a handful, like four or five left. Kind of like how there's a Kesab in Syria and an Anjad yeah. in Beirut. There's yeah. all these, you know, Armenian populated villages. Not that many left, um, but there is still the Armenian community in Norjulfa in Isfahan yes. still there. There's about it. twelve thousand Armenians still in Isfahan in Norjulfa. They have fourteen churches, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. From what I remember and what they, uh, you know, what they've told me, let's say our Barskahai friends is a. Uh, are these Armenians were desired because they were great merchants, they were great artisans. You know, uh, this is something we see many times throughout Armenian history that Armenians were good with their hands and the, they were going to be useful. And the Shah wanted to use them to uh, develop his capital city, right? Yeah. So again, the whole narrative that the Shah Abbas wanted to save us—it's not true. So the real the story was that we can say is that for one, the Ottomans were invading and they were winning. So a scorched earth policy was imposed. They burnt down everything, mm -hmm. including the, um, I forgot the word in English, the harvest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, of course. The perk. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they burnt fields, cities, towns, just so that when the Ottomans entered, they can't replenish their own forces. Yeah. Um, and not only was it to deny the Ottomans any source of, you know, Rations. Yeah, rations. They supply. also wanted to, again, as you said, maintain the Armenian capital. Armenians, Julfa especially, which is why I was given such privileges, was a silk-producing city. And again, they were these people were already really intertwined with international trade. But that's a big deal, um, silk weaving. I mean, that's like a high commodity, a luxury yeah. good. And yeah, I mean, I guess you could say the 1600s, 1700s, this is the beginning of a lot more international trade exactly. going on. And uh, Armenians, especially these Persian Armenians, you could say at this time, were the Julfatsis, I mean, they were uh, instrumental in facilitating this trade from Asia to the Ottoman Empire, you yeah. know, their, their cousins in Istanbul, so these, Constantinople. So the story, I'm going to briefly kind of get away from Nakhichevan to these Nakhichevansis yeah. in Iran. These new Julfatsis and new Julfins eventually kind of left Iran at in time because... For one, in 1722, the Afghans invaded and ravaged Iran. Zaid, what were they called? Um, Hotaki. Okay. Hotaki dynasty. They're modern-day Punjabis. Sorry, guys. Not Punjabis, my apologies. Um, Pashtuns. 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 They speak Pashto. Yes. They live next to the Punjabis. Um, mm -hmm. So the Pashtuns are the Hotaki dynasty invaded Iran and really laid waste to a lot of it um, between 1722 and 1736. And... A, large segment of Armenians from Iran moved out. Um, some say up to 80% were really? gone. Yeah. 
Did they go back to Armenia or are they just all over the place? No, well, a lot of them were slaughtered because they were visibly Christian and Damn. the Afghans had really hadn't seen Christians before. Yeah. And they didn't know that they were protected. Yeah, or um, it was just a policy at that time. You know, it's really on a whim how ex- the guy's feeling exactly, at that time. Yeah, and then a l- large number is did move to Central and South Asia, then eventually to Southeast Asia and even to East Asia. So initially moving towards modern-day Afghanistan and Pakistan, they moved to India to the Mughal realm, where today there are 10 churches in India built from this time period. There's even an Armenian school in Kolkata, mm-hmm. which is on the eastern end of India near Bangladesh, and that was built in 1822, if I'm not mistaken. The Armenian College or something, right? Armenian College of Kolkata. Yeah. And, I mean, there was Armenians in Singapore and Burma. Yeah, and so they uh, moved southeast as trade went, and they were actually granted privileges by the British and French authorities and the Dutch. And the Mughals, the, the Indian yeah, uh, royalty. So yeah, so before the Europeans even arrived in the subcontinent, the local rulers gave these Armenians privileges. And then once those were replaced by the European powers... They were also given those privileges because they were viewed as a trustworthy Christian, yes. you know, tied to Europe in a sort of distant way. No, I was going to say is these Europeans utilized the Armenians because they had the trade networks and they had the trust of everywhere from China to India. Exactly. And I, I've read this before that at times they would put up the Armenian merchant ship flag to like yes. just gain access uh, to they a They had port. a distinct flag. And yeah. these groups would go from modern day Indonesia to, you know, England and... Belgium and the Netherlands. No, I'm glad you're mentioning this because, uh, as where you mentioned, you know, a lot of the Armenians of Nakhichevan were depopulated, but their, uh, I don't know, their story continues right through yeah. the their descendants. And whenever I, uh, you know, we have many Barskai friends, our Persian Armenian friends, who you know are from these original generations that moved in 1605 at the order of Shah Abbas. I actually was shown a family tree by a friend who has literally the lineage lined up from their first original family member that left Julfa and went to Esfahan. So uh, whenever I talk to my Persian Armenian friends, I'm like, dude, you guys are Nakhichevansi. Like this is this is your hair that region is yours, that is your heritage. And you know, they continued their you know legendary uh, work up until today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there might not be any Armenians in Nakhichevan today, but there are Armenians in Iran, and we could, you know, associate yeah, them. So of I'm course. Glad. And they were, like, renowned tradesmen and merchants, you know. They from, still are. They, they <laughs> still are. They really are. Um, in addition, uh, there's also Nakhichevan Ondon, which is in Russia. Oh, yeah. Right? Rost- <laughs> so there's today the Rostov Ondon. There's, like, a... Part of the city, it, it was called Nor Nakhichevan, New Nakhichevan, similar to like New Julfa. Yeah. Uh, again, like another uh, wave or another group of these Nakhichevansi merchant merchants who lived in Crimea, then were moved over by Saint Catherine to uh, you know Rostov, and there they created another merchant capital. Am I right? Yeah. So it's actually they have a longer story because the Crimean Armenians moved to Nor Nakhichevan or, Nakh- or Rostov on Don. Yeah. They are said to actually have been 11th century migrants from Nakhichevan who fled the Bagradoni collapse. So it goes to show, look, we were saying it at that time too, that that merchant kind of tradition began earlier, so there yeah, you go. Yeah, and I think about 20,000 of them were moved from Crimea to North Nakhichevan, where till this day there is a bustling Armenian community, yeah. and the older generation still maintains a distinct dialect. All right, so we have... The Ottomans and the Persians, the Iranians, the Safavids, are they still the Safavids or did they change dynasties? So the Safavids collapsed in 
again, that Hotaki Afghan invasion right, in 1736. And then was it the Qajars that came next? It, between the Qajars and the Safids were the Afshars who ruled for a brief period. Okay, so, so the, the Afshars were the tricky ones because they're the ones who um, decentralized rule in the Caucasus. Uh. They gave power to these Turkic tribes. The Afshars, unlike the Safavids, were an authentic Turkic tribe. They're a Turkic family that yes. run the country kind of thing. Yeah, so that while the Safavids were a mix, the Afshars were very much more Turkic. Um, and to this day, the Afshar tribe exists in modern-day Iran, Azerbaijan, and Turkey. Interesting. Um, so they ruled over the region from 1736 to, I think, 1796, I believe. So about 60-odd years or so. They were the ones who established these, you know, semi-autonomous khanits. They gave power to the local Muslims, tribes. let's say, yeah. uh, the tribes to run the regions. And um, because up to this point, how was it divided up? So they were vilayats, so they were basically provinces. So the same system that kind of came from the Arab times, you could yeah. say, something similar. Yeah. And the, but now we're moving towards these khanats, and we'll hear the uh, Azerbaijanis today mention these khanats all the time, the yeah. Arab khanat, this Arevan khanat. So this Nakhichevan khanate was established by the Kengerli, again, this Turkic tribe was brought in after Armenians were removed in 1604. Um, so the Kengerli ruled over this region, again, for a very brief period, less than 100 years, from 1747 till 1828. And at this time, Nakhichevan was majority Muslim. Majority Turkic Muslim with a large Kurdic minority, Kurdish minority, yeah. and but also a significant Armenian minority. There were about 5,000 Armenians living in Nakhichevan out of a total population of about 20 25,000. So, yeah, about 20 to 25 percent of the population was still Armenian. Um, and in 1828, 1829, Russia went to war with both Turkey and Iran. So, Russia's making its way into the scene, into the Caucasus now. Yes. So this Russian invasion, Russia started in 1801 by taking eastern Georgia. Right. And so then the, in 1813, took modern-day Azerbaijan. Inching their way down oh, yeah. slowly, right? Incrementally. War after war, right. And in 1828, the Russians took over modern-day Armenia, much of it, and Nakhichevan. And by doing so, they invited Armenians to return to these basically derelict lands. I mean, they were insanely depopulated. And is it because they also probably wanted Christian population to come back into their borders? For one, motivation? yeah, for one, to have Armenians return for their own benefit. Right. You know, Russians rather have these trustworthy Christian Armenian wealthy merchants come right. in than these nomadic pastoral tribes who aren't much benefit to them and aren't trustworthy either right. to them. I mean, so basically you have Armenians that were removed once, went south, and then they're being invited to come back up, kind of? No, everyone thinks that. Um, so the group of Armenians who moved back, quote-unquote, repatriated, quote-unquote, in 1828-1829 were roughly 90,000 from modern-day Turkey, so historic Western Armenia, right. while the 40,000 that came from modern-day Iran were from northwestern Iran, so Urmia, Maku, Khoi, Salmazd. Yeah. These groups of people were not migrants to those lands. They were natives to those lands. Because those cities that I mentioned, the four cities, Ormia, Maku, Khoi, those regions, the northwestern Iran, were historically southeastern Armenia. Yeah, those are historical Armenia. Exactly. Was, that was right. the fringe of the Iranian-Armenian realm. Right. So these Armenians were actually native Armenians who were just invited to move north of the Araks. 
and hey, you come to our Christian empire rather than live in that Muslim empire. Exactly, yeah. exactly. How many came again? So 90,000 from eastern Ottoman provinces and 40,000 from northwestern Iran. And they went all over the place or they went only to Nakhichevan? So about 12,000 went to Nakhichevan of okay. the 140,000. Okay. Roughly 60,000 or so went to the area of the former Yerevan Khanate, another sub-autonomous province of the Iranian realm, and another chunk went to, you know, today's Javak, mm. um, where they joined, again, a largely depopulated historic Armenian land. There was a small Armenian community that was already there, right? but they this greatly most, expanded. This was mostly the Erzurumsi, I think, Armenians. Erzurumsi's, Meshetsi's, That yeah. went to Javak, right? Again, it's about proximity. So that the ones from Urmian, Salmas, and Khoi went to, you know, the Arradian Plain and Nakhichevan, those from, you know, Bayazet and Alashkert went to Sevan Basin, and those from, you know, Kars and Erzurum or Garin went to Gyumri and Lori and Javak. Right. So, yeah, about 140,000. So, I mean, Azerbaijanis use this as a huge propaganda point saying, Armenians are not from the Caucasus. They're, they this were, is their first time they came. They were brought over by the Russians. I mean, yeah, it's, it's complete, like, nonsense because, for one, Armenians were already there. Sure, they were not in a majority, but there are historical factors as to why that happened. It doesn't make it not your homeland if you're a minority. There's not one majority city in America with Native Americans, and I mean, is it uh, Native German land? Like uh, exactly, you know. exactly. Um, well, so, uh, the so Russians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're like leading through the 18th century, coming close to let's say the modern age. Yeah. Um, uh, the history that we might know a little bit better. Uh, Turn of the 20th century, would you say, well, how would you break down the population right now? Is it like 50-50? So uh, it was about 45-40% Armenian and about 55-60% Muslim, largely Turkic. Which is not bad, and it's honestly kind of the average for the yeah, entire region, you know? I mean, it was always like 50-50, maybe we were 60-40, right? Exact, were exactly. Um, a lot of regions were kind of split like this. Right. Um and one of the unique things about the Armenian community of Nakhichevan, though, was there was like a, a Catholic community there. I don't know if they were still there around this time, maybe, uh, but there was like 30, 28 like, Ar uh, Armenian Catholic villages. Yeah, so those Catholics, unfortunately, did not make it to the Russian imperial times because they did not appear in the censuses or the records. But we know that they had converted to Islam. So what happened was uh. these Armenian Catholics... They're not like today's Armenian Catholics. Today's Armenian Catholics use the Armenian liturgical rite and are largely from the Ottoman Empire. Um, and they're a 18th century development. These Catholics were rat Latin rite Catholics, so Roman Catholics. Like Franciscan friars came to... Franciscan Armenian. Dominicans, yeah. So they oh. came to the Mongol Empire at the time, who was like, we don't know what religion to choose. And so they invited Catholics, and a lot of them stayed in the Ilkhanate, whose capital was... Near Nakhichevan. Oh, interesting. In Marage. Oh. And they, you know, Catholicized, if you will, a few Armenian villages. And they, you know, they were still there for a few centuries, up until the 16th century, 15th century. Then you had devastating wars and deportations. And All right. a few became Muslim. And, and then they might be the Zeris that are there today. Who yeah. Knows? yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, in one of our previous episodes, uh, we did mention the Armeno Tatar War, mm -hmm. um, and I know it did take place in Nakhichevan. This is before the genocide. This is like around 1905, correct? Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about maybe the beginning of this tension between the Tatars, the Muslim Turks in that region, 
and the Christian population. So again, at this time, the region was home to about 55,000 Armenians and about 80,000 Muslims, largely Turkic people and Kurds. So the 1905-1907 Armenian Tatar War or massacres broke out simultaneously with the 1905 Russian Revolution. Um, and because there was the slight Azerbaijani or proto-Azerbaijani, this Turkic majority in Nakhichevan, they felt more empowered versus in other areas. Right. And so on May 25th, 1905, the first act of violence occurred um, in Nakhichevan. In Nakhichevan. So of the 52 Armenian villages in Nakhichevan, 47 were attacked, 19 of which were completely destroyed. Again, of 52... 47 were attacked, so 5 were spared, and 19 of them, so almost half, a, yeah. you know, so about 40%, if anything, yeah. were wiped out. Um, and during this time, 239 Armenians were killed, and Armenians later, you know, went on a revenge spree and attacked the Muslim village and killed 36 Turks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are images of this. There's mass graves and churches desecrated and homes burnt down you know with russian guards in front of them yeah um it was it was you know things were already boiling in the region it was just getting worse and worse and i know that there was a perception about armenians by the muslim population because again like how we were saying about the treaty of turkmenchai Mm -hmm. and how they brought armenians up the russians probably preferred the you know the literate and like uh, artisan armenian to administer yeah they had privileges um, compared to their Muslim neighbors, and that boils up to a boiling Exactly, point. because right before the Russians came, the officers had given these Turkic tribes uh, semi-autonomy, and they were granted all these privileges, while Armenians were these second-class citizens so they could levy taxes on. And then the Russians came, and it flipped. And it flipped. So imagine being that, you know, Turkic nomad and how bad you would feel. So that's what the whole situation was, and that's what was the root of this tension. They felt that it was right to blame the Armenians, even though the Armenians were simply wanting to return to their lands and benefit living in a Christian realm for once. A conqueror will always feel like they're being oppressed when the one that they conquered starts to become on an equal footing. Exactly, because they're used exactly. to for so long, whether it's in America or wherever it is, you know, the second, uh, like a, a disenfranchised... South Africa, for example. Whites in South Africa feel like they're second-class citizens now after... But because they have equal rights now, because they've become on equal footing, you know, it's funny, these Armenians who maybe had, did have privilege, probably weren't that much more above anybody else. They were probably still the poor Armenian peasant farmer out there. Turkey people still own the land, because you can't change that. The Russians didn't confiscate their land. But because we were doing a little better, you know, okay, these Armenians are, you know, they have uh, advantages that we don't have. would then go and buy the land and build better homes and build better villages. Well, so, uh, you know, this, uh, the Armeno-Tatar massacres, that war happened, you know, it's getting messy. The genocide happens in 1915. Uh, yeah. th- granted, Nakhichevan was, let's say, on the Russian side of the border. Uh, it you, you can argue that, you know, it didn't, it, it still saw its fair share of the genocide's mm-hmm. uh, participation in that region. Um, uh, what else happened? So, again, we think of genocide as being in 1915, but it, you know, went to 1916, 17. Some say up until 1922. It depends really on who you ask. Right. The bulk of the Ottoman Armenian death was in 1915, 1916, 17. Um, but in June 1918, the Ottoman Turks invaded Nakhichevan. And this is, you know, right after May 28th. So yeah. this is a month after Armenia declares independence and claims and controls Nakhichevan. Right. 
So when the Ottoman Turks came a month into Armenia's existence, they killed 10,000 Armenians in Akhichevan and again destroyed 45 of their villages. So like 15 years after the Armenian War. After, yeah, yeah. Another wholesale massacre and destruction of these villages. I mean, it really, really devastated the region. So you barely had 50,000 Armenians and you had some deaths in 1905. You had more deaths, 20,000 in 1918, and it didn't end there. Right. The Ottoman Turks stayed there and they supported this newly established Azerbaijani quote-unquote state that took the name of the Persian province to the south. Right. And, you know, this was part of pan-Turkism. So in December 1918, the local Muslims in Akhichevan, backed by the Ottoman Turks, declared the so-called Araz Republic. Yeah. Um, and in June 1919, Armenian troops took the area back. And again, as a response, the Ottoman Turks intervened again. And massacred about six to twelve thousand Armenians again in July nineteen nineteen. So exactly a year later, and there's actually a U.S. document sent to Washington mentioning this incident taking place. It seems like it's always the Ottoman Turks and this pan-Turkish like mm-hmm, ideology mm-hmm. and uh, policy that keeps pitting us against each other or like encouraging this sort of like anti-Armenian pro azeri yeah. uh, you know violence and um it, whether it's today or 100 years ago or 200 years ago it seems like they're you know sticking their nose in exactly. and, and aggravating exactly. the situation i mean what's crazy is from nakhichevan yeah for uh, for you arf nerds out there i mean we have garegi nejde we have kristapor uh, mikhailian and stepan zorian the, those two were founders of the arf they all came from nakhichevan mm-hmm. and a number of other uh, notable I think people. two or three of our Catholicoi of the church are also from Nakhichevan. Yeah, and I mean, uh, plenty of famous people. Aram Khachan's parents are from Nakhichevan, yeah. but uh, also the Aliyevs. <laughs> um, but yeah, but uh, I want you to break it down a little bit more because um, the British uh, wanted mm-hmm. to continue the the Yerevan province, the right the Russian imperial boundaries. So what the British had in mind was okay, Armenians get the Erevan or Yerevan and Kars provinces. Which includes Nakhichevan. Includes Nakhichevan, but does not include... Sunik. Lori, Tavush, Sunik, or Artsakh. Right. And we wanted those. Or Javakh. And we claimed all those as part of the First Republic. Yes. And here's the thing. We controlled those, and we were the majority in those lands as well. That's why Armenians said, you know, we're not going to follow this British policy. And no other group in the Caucasus wanted to follow the British policy either, because... The Georgians were only left with the Kutaisi and Tiflis governorates. They also wanted parts of the Kars Oblast. They also wanted parts of... Tavush. Exactly. Yeah. And then the Azerbaijanis, I mean, if you look at their 1919 Paris Peace Conference map, it stretches from Batumi it, to Derbent. It's everything. It's <laughs> literally just like a little circle in the middle uh, around I mean, the west of Lake Sevan that we get, like Gyumri and that's it. We wouldn't know. even get Gyumri, no. They, yeah. Yerevan would be a border town. Um, and like, anyway. the core of our... Armenia would have been it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's it, it's ridiculous. But uh, but yeah, Sunik, Artsakh, um, and Tavush um, Lodi were uh, uh, you know de facto ours, and what we claimed in our independence, uh, we controlled those areas. Um, but Nakhichevan, like you were just saying, we had control, but then we lost control it, because the Ottomans intervened. Yeah. So I mean, the Ottomans intervened in the summer of 1919, and it was unstable. It was chaos in Nakhichevan. In March 1920, Armenia launched an operation and took full control over Nakhichevan. Um, but this is when the Bolsheviks come, right? 
this is when the Bolsheviks come. So as I said, March 1920, you have Armenia taking control of Nakhichevan. March 1920 is also when Shushi was burnt down to the ground mm-hmm. and 20,000 Armenians were slaughtered there. Um, and at the same time, in April, the Bolsheviks took over Baku and dismantled the Azerbaijani Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, by July 1920, the Soviets had taken Nakhichevan. Um, so, you know, it was short-lived Armenian rule in the region. Right. Okay, so uh, at this point, I doubt there's that many Armenians left in Nakhichevan. Not many. During the Soviet Union, how many were there percentage-wise? Like probably 5 10%? Like, so again, it? we mentioned two massacres. There was actually a third one in December 1919, I believe, in Agulis, which was right. a famous Armenian town. And after that third massacre, it was completely you know, depleted of Armenians. Um, it's it's weird. The because the Bolsheviks took over Azerbaijan first, they wanted to really win over Armenia. So in November 1920, the Soviets, on the eve of the invasion of Armenia, promised that, along with Azerbaijani authorities, who signed off on this. By the way, that Nakhichevan, the Zangezur district or Sunik, and Artsakh, Karabakh, would become part of Armenia. So and they all agreed to this. Ugh, so close. Um, but as you know, the Soviets not keep their promises. In January 1921, the Soviets allowed a referendum. A referendum that took place after Armenians were slaughtered. Out, yeah. So 90% of the locals, shocker, shocker, voted to remain part of Azerbaijan and were granted the status of an autonomous re- republic within Soviet Azerbaijan. But when the Armenians do it in Artsakh... They get some autonomy, but it's within Azerbaijan. Yeah, so Whatever. 90% voted for this. And they're like, oh, look, but it's a fair and, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, if I kill everyone else off and vote, it's like, my vote counts. Yeah, you're the only one voting. Uh, democracy <laughs> is great. Um, yeah, by 1926, the Soviet census reports that of about 105,000 people, 89,000 or 85% were Azerbaijanis and only about 11,000 or 10% were Armenians. Yeah, By 1989, surprised. the population had tripled to about 300,000, over 280,000 of which were Azerbaijanis, so 96%, and there were less than 2,000 Armenians, only 0.6%. Now, during those Soviet years, whatever remaining Armenians were there, I mean, did they just slowly migrate to the Republic of uh, the Soviet Armenia so, just because like, it wasn't yeah. worth it, you know? So what happened was, between 1926, the first Soviet census, and the last Soviet census, census in 1989, you had Armenians decrease from 11,000 to 2,000, um, which you would think during 70 years of Soviet rule, the population would grow oh, naturally. But it completely reversed, and the last ones left were largely elderly in rural villages. Was it because of just kind of so like discriminatory society, or was it just we, like no opportunity? I've, I've heard a lot of conflicting claims. So for one, there wasn't much discrimination at the time, but because Armenians were such a small minority, they were not granted any privileges. In the region. So comparing it to Artsakh, where Armenians had language rights, linguistic rights, and whatnot. Autonomy, yeah. Cultural autonomy, even. You know what I mean? In Nakhichevan, Armenians lacked that completely. So they were forced to live in a Turkic state with no, you know, cultural protections or guarantees. And the area wasn't really economically developed. Mm-hmm. It was isolated almost, you could say. I mean, it wasn't technically isolated just yet because Armenia was part of the Soviet Union and Nakhichevan was not cut off from the rest, but, but it's it was a desolate region. I mean, after Soviet, all, every, everything has been through. I mean, the, if you look at the way the Soviets viewed the South Caucasus, the Soviets put a lot of their forces 
in Georgian Azerbaijan and relegated Armenia and Nakhichevan to be the potential battleground, the Fr- front frontier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hence, there were not too many investments into those regions. I mean, Nakhichevan is literally the edge of the empire. Like, it's literally the it's corner th- edge the of the whole thing. the farthest edge, yeah. yeah. And it's along the border with, Oz- with Iran and Turkey. You know, friend- neighbors weren't too friendly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, during those years between 1989 and 19, sorry, 1989 and 1991, those remaining 2,000 Armenians were gone. They right. disappeared overnight, basically. Also, um, in our episode with Simon Marakian, it's one of our Artsakh series episodes. We do discuss, you know, kind of this period and how, um, I think his name was Akram uh, Avakian. Uh, Akram Ayvazian. Ayvazian, uh, how he documented uh, and took photographs of like the entire Armenian heritage of the region. There was, you know, uh, churches and monasteries and thousands of uh, cross stones and cemeteries, um, tombstones yeah. that... Uh, um, I, I have mean, the figures right here, actually. He, yeah. So he did field research. He went all over Nakhichevan from 1964 to 1987. Um, and he counted 89 standing churches and cathedrals and monasteries. He counted 5,840 khachkars and 22,000 other Armenian graves. Ay, ay, ay. I mean, that, that's not... Uh, you don't have 89 churches for 2,000 people. You know, that's that's exactly. 2,000 years of uh, you don't have population. You don't have 22,000 graves and 6,000 khachkars. There, there's more tombstones than there were Armenians people. at that point in the region. And, uh, I mean, did they use this data then to completely wipe it out? So they actually used, yeah, um, Argam's, Mr. Ayvazian's data to locate these monuments and literally flattened them to the ground. And this only happened like in the 90s and 2000s. This happened yeah. in the, you know, actually the early 2000s. Yeah. There's footage. So if you want to learn more about that, we do have an episode on Azerbaijan's uh, erasure of Armenian cultural history. Um, it's in our Artsakh series with uh, Simon Marakian, so you can learn more about that. But mm-hmm. yeah, at this point, uh, you know, today there are no Armenians in Nakhichevan. There's literally no Armenian heritage sites or cultural preservations or anything, mm-hmm. as well as our, you know, uh, entire existence there is denied by the state. Um, and it's a very sad. Um, and it's sad because it was, as we just spoke about, is, you know, core part of our history. A lot of pain, but. Um, if you do get a chance to see these photographs of what we did build there and the legacy of the Nakhichevansi Armenians and being world-class tradesmen and merchants, I mean, there's something to be proud of here. So, um, Chris, thank you again for doing this with me and uh, hopefully we'll do another one. Yeah, thank you, everyone. And if you are interested, I actually wrote a long thread on Twitter called Nakhichevan, A Lost Homeland. What's your handle? Uh, handle is at Chris Khach, K-H-A-C-H. It's like 63 threads long. It's insanely detailed. And I have to thank again Simon Marakian for all of his hard work and also the late Samvel Karapetian mm-hmm. from Research and Armenian Architecture for providing us with all these sources and images. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, Chris. And uh, until next time. You're listening to Hi Duke Talks, the official podcast of the AYF West. I'm Haik Minasian, and we're just a couple of Armenians talking in the world. A couple of Armenians talking in the world.